today on CityCast Denver. Broomfield-based Vail Resorts is the biggest ski resort operator in North America, period. They generate hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue and operate some of the most popular resorts, including Breckenridge, Keystone, and of course Vail right here in Colorado. But Vail Resorts is in some hot water right now with skiers and snowboarders who bought Vail's Epic Pass, saying they're not getting their money's worth on the slopes. Not to mention the company's problems in hiring and retaining employees in the mountains. Colorado Sun reporter and former ski bum himself, Jason Blevins, is on the show to break down the whole conflict. Today is Wednesday, January 26th, 2022. I'm Bree Davies, and this is CityCast Denver. it up a little thing and recording right now there you go jason blevins welcome to citycast denver thanks for having me brie so there's this petition going around from skiers and snowboarders on change.org called hold vale resorts accountable and maybe we can start by unpacking a quote from this petition because i think it touches on a lot of the core issues that are at play here it says quote the vale resorts approach is a disaster and it's tearing communities apart and it's ruining mountain culture what is the vale resorts approach that they're referring to so uh, the <laughs> opponents of vale resorts love this so for years they've kind of the nickname for vale resorts is the evil empire right um <laughs> And they are a lot like the Borg. If you listen to, you know, they they assimilate. They buy a resort. Oh, like the Star Trek, the Borg. Yeah, yeah. They've consolidated operations into a headquarters. There's maybe an imbalance there in considering the value of a of a culture in a mountain town and thrilling Wall Street investors, which Vail Resorts very good at one and is maybe working on the other, right? And where did this petition come from? Like, what specifically do the skiers and snowboarders want to see change? So uh, this this guy, Jeremy, he's an old Crested Butte skier, really nice guy. Um, he grew frustrated with uh, Vail Resort's inability to open terrain up at Stevens Pass, which is outside of Seattle um, in Washington. And he thought he'd put a fun petition on change.org. And it's called Hold Vail Resorts Accountable. And within a few days, he had 10,000. Within a you know, few weeks, he's got 40,000, 50,000 people have signed this thing. And it's basically saying, you know, if you're going to sell us a pass early, you really should open terrain. Um, and, you know, the, the resort has struggled to open terrain, largely based on a labor crisis that is a national issue that is troubling the entire hospitality industry, right? Um, it yeah. is particularly acute in these ski towns. Like you you might not ski much, Bree, but you you do probably get up to the mountains every once in a while. And you know these towns are really expensive, right? <laughs> they yes. It's, yes. It's unbelievable how much it costs to live up here. Um, how much it costs to own a house up here, how much it costs to rent a house up here. So uh, you know, they're struggling and then add in the, you know, the wave of this new variant with the coronavirus. You know, I've heard that they have as many as 10 to 15% of their workers are have been unable to come into work because they tested positive. And they're really struggling to put bodies, you know, in the resorts to work. And they're struggling to get resorts open, um, open chairlifts, spin, spin chairs and open new trains. So it's been a bit of a challenge. And this is industry wide. But 
since Vail Resorts is publicly held and we have access to all their filings and documents and finances, they have, they're a pretty easy target, right? So skiers and snowboarders are paying for hundreds of dollars for this pass. They've sold millions of these passes. That's billions of dollars potentially. And then oh, yeah. they don't have the staff. So, I mean, I am seeing a connection here between maybe people not being paid enough to do those jobs. What are the numbers from you as an as an expert that's watching this industry? What are those numbers telling you? Well, they last summer raised the minimum wage of all its workers to fifteen dollars an hour. Um, it was their largest capital expense for the year. Um, you know, and this is a company that spends a lot of money um, every year. 150 to 350 million dollars a year on new chairlifts and grooming and restaurants and all the things that you see at the ski area. Um, and so, you know, they raised the pay and it might not have been enough. Aspen skiing, say, in the Roaring Fork Valley, they did the same thing and quickly they saw the writing on the wall. And before the season even started, they raised their minimum wage to $17 an hour. And so, Vale. Mid-season, uh, last, I guess a couple weeks ago, they announced that they were directing, what, $20 million to end-of-season bonuses for their workers. Now, there's 55,000 workers for Vail Resorts. It's a big company, right? So they're going to spend $20 million on these end-of-season bonuses that basically raise everybody's pay to $17 an hour if they finish. And it could be argued that that still isn't enough. Um, right. You know, you come to these mountain towns and... Just about everybody, you know, if you're a small restaurant owner, Bree, and you, you want to, you know, get the right workers, you're going to pay 18, 20, 25 bucks an hour. You know, I live up in Eagle. My daughter's a, a teenager. She's working at a restaurant for $20 an hour. She thinks it's normal. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> she, she thinks that's the way it is. But the demand is just so crazy in these ski towns to get quality workers. I mean, that's like, that's the issue is where, where can they put workers in this incredible, um, you know, incredibly tight real estate market where these ski communities, some of them haven't built hotels for 20 years. And that's given rise to short-term rental markets, which is um, drawn investors who have taken homes out of the long-term market that used to be lived in by locals. So, you know, there's that play in there. There's the fact that it's just so difficult to to build and permit density housing in mountain towns, right? Like we don't necessarily want urban style, you know, apartment complexes in the mountains, but that might be what we need. So the petition is really addressing the slopes, like you said, in Washington state. Um, why are people so upset in Washington, but it, the petition hasn't seemed to catch on here in Colorado? Yeah, we have not seen the petition here, but we have seen, Ski instructors um, file class action lawsuits um, against the company at Beaver Creek. Um, we've seen ski instructors at Breckenridge file a, uh, a request with the company to improve pay, improve safety. Um, you know, we're starting to see more of a groundswell maybe from workers. Um, you know, there's been uh, pictures of lift lines all over that we see, you know, those are, those are wildly popular, but yes. <laughs> it's important to note that, you know, this industry, you know, I've been skiing since the seventies, since I was a kid coming up for vacation and we always weighed in in lift lines, a lift line on a Saturday morning at the base of a ski area is a time worn <laughs> image. It's yeah. just what it is. We have not seen that kind of 
upswell of um, petition signing, hold bail resorts accountable out of Colorado. But that's not to say that the angst is not there. This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Wine Board. Because the wine community here is like surprisingly robust. I mean, think about Bigsby's Folly and Infinite Monkey Theorem here in Denver alone. And there are urban wineries all across the Front Range. Then there's the Western Slope, Peonia, I mean, Palisade, hello, Palisade Wine, are you kidding me? It didn't used to really be a thing, but from what I hear, it's very much a thing now. There are more than 165 wineries across Colorado to explore, and they produce all sorts of wine that reflect our unique culture and climate. So finding a label that you're going to love is easy, no matter where your adventure takes you. Discover it for yourself and support local winemakers at coloradowine.com. That's coloradowine.com. What do you predict for next year's ski economics as... I mean, we're all crossing our fingers, the pandemic subsides. Sure. What do you what do you see or project? Um, yes. Yeah, so in a in a beautiful world, we can finally put this shit show in the back. Sorry, put this behind us. <laughs> no, you're fine. But <laughs> let's you know, so then I would expect that resorts will significantly increase their base pay. They will realize that we need to pay twenty, twenty-five bucks an hour. And resorts are going to say, season passes need to be a certain price. They they can't be $800. They need to be more. I think that's... What? I know. I think... Well, think about it, Bree. 25 years ago, I moved to Vail as a ski bum, and I paid $1,700 for my ski pass. This was in 1992. That's how much it cost. Seventeen hundred dollars. Yeah, but I'd ski one hundred and twenty dollars, one hundred and twenty days. So I would Fair. get it down to what less than ten bucks a day. <laughs> so the resorts changed that model by offering this Epic Pass. They slashed the price of a season pass by almost fifty percent, and started selling passes ten years ago, unlimited ski passes, the Epic Pass, and that has redefined the industry. Um, up until this season, we found a pretty good balance with it, you know, say a five to ten percent annual increase in price in those passes. So, where they started selling passes ten years ago, seven hundred bucks, they're now about a thousand dollars. We probably need to have season passes that are around that amount in order to modulate that demand. We can't necessarily have, I don't know, record numbers of visitors with combined with. Um, you know, a, a, a dwindling workforce. So there's there must be a balance in there right. somewhere. And I think we're going to see some adjustment to season pass prices, some adjustment to uh, hourly wages, and hopefully we see some construction and kind of more movement on some high-density housing to accommodate, you know, the growing demand for workers that we're going to need to, you know, accommodate these record numbers of crowds. I, You know, you mentioned yourself as a ski bum 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine entering this now as, you know, say you're a, a 22-year-old kid who wants to move to the mountains and work at a ski resort? How d- how would you feel trying to do that now? I know. It's crazy. You kind of think about that. There's, um, you know, been a lot of speculation on the death of the ski bum. And, you know, I moved up here for several years in 1992. It was 30 years ago. Wow. Um, but it was, <laughs> um, you know, we we packed... I hope my landlord isn't listening, but we had eight people in our apartment back then. Um, you know, I lived in a room in a garage. Uh, it was the laundry room and it was 
wow. wonderful. Um, you know, it's the best years of my life, if you think about it. <laughs> we did nothing. All we did was ski every day and work every night. Um, and, you know, I think that that still can be done. Um, it just has to be kind of done with, with maybe a little more planning. You know, I moved to the to the town with everything in my, the back of my truck and found a place within a week. You know, you probably need to start looking months ahead of time if you want to line up lodging it's it's just it's a challenge it's a different environment it's a different dynamic um and i think we'll i think we're going to see a growing appreciation for the local community the local workers and whether that means more pay you know uh, more choices for accommodation just a better a better way to amplify their their critical importance to our to our mountain culture Jason Blevins, thank you so much for joining me today. Of course, Bray, this was fun. Oh, and I just want to add that after I talked to Jason, I saw a headline in the newspaper, Vail Daily, about Vail Resort's plan to combat long wait times at the chairlifts. They're going to soon be implementing, quote, phone-free zones at the lift terminals to speed up the process of getting butts in seats. Because... Yeah, that's going to solve the problem. One person on Twitter brilliantly pointed out that it's really more of a ploy to get people to stop photographing the ridiculously long lift lines. And here's what else is happening in Denver today. Some good news and some bad news. Good news first. The King Super Strike is officially, like officially over. Last Friday, the union took down the picket lines after an agreement was reached with the grocer. But it wasn't until Monday of this week that the union members officially got to vote to ratify the agreement, which they did. Andreas, the King Supers employee we had on the show a couple of Fridays back, told us he's happy with the deal. He said he thinks the contract is, quote, good, and it proved the power of a union and strike. Andreas went on to say that the strike energized some of his fellow King Supers employees, and he believes that when they return to the bargaining table in three years, even more folks will have joined the union. And now for the bad news. The Irish Snug has closed its doors for good. The Dublin-esque bar at Colfax and Marion served its last pint on Sunday. As per a posting on Facebook, pandemic woes were the curse for the bar, particularly rising supply costs. If you ever visited the Snug in the past 18 years, you know what a wonderful, warm, and welcoming bar it was. R.I.P. Irish Snug. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell a friend about us, rate the show wherever you get your podcasts, and subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. See you later. Broomfield-based Vale Resort. Vale? Val Resorts. <laughs> Broomfield based Ra- <laughs> Broom <laughs> Braille Resorts. Broomfield be <laughs> Broomfield be <laughs> Okay. Vale Resorts. <laughs>